Blog Talk Radio. Black Politics Today. An eye for what's at stake in global politics and your source for the social, economic, and political impact of public policy on the African-American community. Your host, Kelly Michael Williams, is a political strategy veteran with an undefeated campaign record and the political experience that spans nearly three decades, from Mayor Willie Brown in California to President Barack Obama in our nation's capital. So get ready for a fresh and honest approach on the politics that affect you and your family the most. Now, your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Kelly Michael Williams. That is glory. And tonight, we're going to give a little glory to a fallen soldier, a warrior, 
someone who is and has been a stalwart for civil rights, for advocacy, for activism, for African Americans, for people of color, and quite frankly, for anyone and everyone that's out there. I'm your host, everyone, and I'm Kelly Michael Williams, and welcome to another broadcast of Black Politics Today. And before I get started too much and get too deep, uh, I always pause and thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for allowing me to host this show, to have this opportunity to come into uh, your eardrums each and every Monday night to talk about what I believe is important to us as African-Americans, socially, economically, and politically, and just to highlight what's at stake for us. And I thank God for this platform, for him allowing me to be able to do that and to be able to be here uh, each and every Monday to uh, uh, discuss that and talk about that with you. Defying the noise of of what's coming out of Washington, and uh, sometimes that noise is so loud that many people, especially African Americans, don't take time to listen, uh, and they, they 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 can't hear uh, hear it because it's it's so loud, and sometimes they just don't want to listen to it all uh, because it's so loud, and and. I get that because I know that sometimes even when this is something that's required of me each and every day of listening, watching the news and listening to what's going on politically, socially, economically, sometimes it gets overwhelming for me at times when uh, you just keep hearing things over and over again that really don't make any sense. Uh, it, it gives you a numbing effect and uh, you you tend to like turn away and, and not think about it. But Elijah Cummings didn't do that. Elijah Cummings, uh, he listened, even when he didn't want to hear it. He pondered, contemplated, even when he knew what the right answer was, um, and he responded. And then he would respond quite often, quite often, whenever I saw it and whenever uh, I heard him or even when I interviewed him a number of times um, with passion and conviction. The, the one thing I can honestly say is that that man um, had passion and conviction for his role and responsibility as a legislator, as a member of Congress, as an African-American, as a U.S. citizen, um, and as someone who lived in, in uh, you know, you know, came from uh, Baltimore, uh, Baltimore City, uh, and in Baltimore, Maryland. And he was just one of those individuals that uh, regardless of the politics or the side of the aisle he was on, uh, he, he was, you know, whatever he said, you, you, could, you could take it to the bank. You can take it to the bank. And I've heard, uh, I've heard uh, uh, Republicans uh, speak of his on, in, in this last week of his passing, and uh, even they would have to say and admit that, you know, regardless of what they thought about his political stripes, um, you know, integrity was, was his, his uh, uh, banner, if you will, um, and uh, they could count on him uh, to talk about it. And on Thursday, the city of Baltimore, the state of Maryland, and Congress lost a leader a giant of servant, a man of great integrity and pride for his beloved hometown, Baltimore. Congressman Cummings served his district and his state with passion and distinction for more than three decades. And during his time uh, of service, 
uh, on a number of committees. And uh, I remember the first time I interviewed him, uh, it could have been government uh, oversight, uh, but I'm thinking it was the financial services committee uh, where he was, uh, uh, they had just passed or just enacted uh, the bill to uh, start the Consumer Protection Board or Consumer Protection Agency. And um, that was something that he was very passionate about. I remember interviewing him and him talking about how concerned he was about one people of color being used by um, uh, payday lenders and banks and lending institutions um, and uh, in his district and his community and, and across the country and how those practices uh, and the need for these individuals to have credit, but the practices by these institutions um, were, you know, so discriminatory in how they would charge and what they would charge in, in the black community compared to where they charged other places. But the, the hook that they would always use to pull people in and basically keep them in debt and, and create even a worse uh, situation for them financially. So we're going to be discussing that tonight, and we're going to be talking to uh, uh, former civil rights president and CEO of the National um, Association of Advancement of Color, Color People, the NAACP, and former Maryland gubernatorial candidate Ben Jealous uh, on his reflections on Congressman Elijah Cummings and his legacy. But before we do that and before we get to uh, uh, CEO or Chairman President uh, Jealous, uh, we're going to welcome back to the show uh, after his last crucifixion here on the show uh, with uh, Dr. Wilmer Leon, uh, my good friend and uh, uh, ANC Chairman, DC Native, uh, GOP advocate, and uh, Trump supporter, uh, Greg Stewart. Greg's going to join us and, and share his reflections uh, as well tonight, because one of those things is that regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, when, when there's a passing or someone of great distinction passes away, you know, there, there's uh, some uh, coming together that you have to do, and there's times when uh, you look to get um, perspective and understanding, because, um, you know, the Bible tells us that we don't know the day or the hour of when God's going to call us home, so we always have to be prepared, and uh, as my friend tells me all the time, uh, be ready so you don't have to get ready. And if you're ready before then, you'll always be ready when things happen or are prepared. And even in death, you need to know the Lord. You need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you don't know him, uh, the reason I thank him every day for on this, uh, every week on this show is because uh, without him, I wouldn't have this vision. You know, we don't think of things on our own. God puts imparts in us the vision that we have for the purpose of what he wants us to do. And I believe that he has given me this vision to impart what I can hear, but also to make it a part of his platform so that we can do things in decency and order. We can do it to highlight God and, and to highlight his will. But uh, he also gives us the desires of our heart. And what I have a heart for is teaching my people, helping them understand and, and bringing them together to know that we have the power to do anything in this country we want to do. And we can do it uh, together. Uh, more effectively than we can individually. And if we work together and continue to move together, uh, we can change some things for ourselves. That's why I continue to call Greg Dennis and other Republicans on this show, because quite frankly, it doesn't matter to me what side of the aisle you are. 
just remember you black. Remember that uh, the, the, there are policies, there are agendas, and there are things that do not support us and do, are not there for our benefit. And so we need to learn how to change that and do something about it. So I am just grateful to God that uh, he gave me the vision to honor Congressman Cummings this past uh, September during the 49th Annual CBC uh, Congressional Black Caucus uh, Legislative Session to honor him with our Ron Dellum Legacy Award. It was just something about hearing him speak when I came down to the Capitol and went to his reception, uh, I think it was back in February after January, December, after the swearing in of, of the uh, new Congress. Um, and I was in his, uh, I was at one of the committee rooms and he was uh, hosting a reception there. And he came in, he started talking about, you know, what the future was going to hold. And he was so passionate about it. I immediately at that point in time said that when we do our CBC, we're going to uh, present him with the Legacy Award. And I'm so glad we did. You can find that on our website at blackpolitics.com, the magazine cover of him on the cover. And the caption merely says Legacy. Little did I know that he was sick enough to uh, be called home by the Lord, but uh, and to do so just a month later. Uh, so I'm very grateful, very honored to him, uh, his wife, Maya, and the staff there to allow us to honor him in that fashion, in that way, and uh, be able to present that to him. So um, as I said, you know, if this is not the day and time that you don't know Lord Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you know, please. Accept him as your Lord and Savior so that you can be ready, so you don't have to get ready, because at that time, it'll be too late. Welcome to the show, Greg. Uh, welcome. How you doing? I'm good, my brother. I'm good. Yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you. Um, so talk to me. Let's get started. Um, I, as I, as I said, and you were at the, you were at the, the CBC reception, um, um, along with uh, a number of your uh, colleagues. And um, we honored uh, Elijah there with that legacy um, award and, and talked about his passion, his integrity, and, and the things he's, he's done um, uh, over his public servant career. What are your thoughts on, on the passing of, of Congressman uh, Cummings? Um, I think I would give a – I think it's like it's kind of sad. You know, you know, it's a sad day for our country when we lose uh, someone in office. Um, he'd been there a while. I'm a former Maryland resident, so – um, definitely feel sad morning for, you know, that there's been a loss for the state of Maryland. Um, you know, a huge loss. Yeah. And definitely a loss for his uh family, you know, mm-hmm. any other siblings or family members that he has. Um, right. you know. Uh, well yeah, his wife and uh, ch- wife and um his uh children. So right. you know, his two daughters like is out to them. Yeah. And you, you you did live in Maryland for a while. Um the D M V is always, you know, uh, we kind of, me being from California originally, but living here now is, is sort of sort of like a separation. You, you, you got D.C. is one way, Maryland is another way, and then especially Baltimore, they see themselves even differently than uh, D.C. and or Virginia. What do you think? Uh, what do you think is going to be one of the the uh, staples of his uh, service in in Baltimore and in, in, in the state of Maryland? Because uh, he was pretty revered in Maryland. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maryland is uh, Maryland's an interesting animal. It's you know, it's like I guess Maryland's actually kind of separated. There's the Eastern Shore. Uh, you know, for your listeners that aren't familiar with the area, Maryland's got the Eastern Shore, which 
you know, which is a you know, it's separated by the Chesapeake Bay. Um, and if you talk to like a lot of Marylanders around the belt, the DC Beltways, like the TG Montgomery guys, um, that's like sort of like the second part of Maryland. You, you actually then you have the Baltimore part of Maryland. Um, then you have the what western part of Maryland. So it's like it's kind of each one's like its own little entity almost. It almost feels right. like four different states in one. It, it almost feels like four different states in one. Uh, it, you know, if you travel through the state, you really, you know, really notice it. But I give Maryland uh, the best thing about Maryland is Maryland does understand the differences, and they do kind of work together, um, especially with the uh, politics. Because mm-hmm. um, had a discussion with um, you know a couple of our friends, you know, Republican friends. Recently, we were having a laugh, and it's like, yeah, man, Republicans. I was like, wait a minute, you guys, Virginia, you guys get Richmond. You know, and I'm like Virginia reliably blue. Now, two of the last three governors in Maryland have been Republican, not Virginia. So, what's up with that, guys? You know, it's like you know teasing them a little bit, but it shows the diversity of Maryland and how they do their politics of, you know, the governor, um, you know, the Republican Democrat mix of how they're able to look out for their best interests for the state and for their communities. They do try to take that a little bit higher. Above, you know, more more so than the party and, and partisan lines. Um, that's how you're able to have uh, some flips in the different counties. But the people definitely look out. They look locally first, and then nationally mm-hmm. a little bit second. It seems that um, that is the thing with Maryland. But uh, I think part of that too is is that Maryland is a southern state. So even though it may be a majority Democrat. State, those are Southern Democrats. They're conservative Democrats, so they're not as progressive as you would uh, find in, say, a, a New York or a New Jersey or uh, California or places like that. Um, I think it changes there. Um, later on tonight, we're going to have a uh, um, uh, civil rights uh, president, former civil rights president Ben Jealous, and, and his advocacy. When when you look now, it uh, appears that I guess. I don't know how many people I didn't get a real chance to really look to see how many people are going to be running for his seat. But what do you think the change in dynamics will be for someone else coming into that seat other than uh, his wife, Maya, if someone else takes that seat over, what, what do you think will be the, the dynamics of that? And, and what would that, uh, where would that leave, leave um, uh, the work that uh, uh, Congressman Cummings has done over the, over the years? Uh, well, I'm sure that, that whoever is um, elected in there will honor his work, of course. Um, but you know, this is politics, and you know, and in politics, you know, it's like it all moves forward. It's you know, unfortunately, the, uh, the it's more of the windshield than the rearview mirror. So right. whoever goes in, yeah, whoever goes in there is going to have to look at the current district and look at what's best for the current district. To make sure, okay, you know, you just lost someone with, you know, significant amount of seniority, including uh, what I guess he was a committee chair. You just lost that, and whoever's coming in there is going to be a freshman congressperson. So that freshman mm-hmm. congressperson, right, is going to have to come in and work harder and really mobilize the residents, the the citizens. Plus, they're really going to have to push within the Congress itself um, in order right. to make up for, you know, that lack of power that they're going to have. Right. Um, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be yeah, uphill climb. Um, it's doable, but whoever's going in there is going to need a lot of energy um, and an awful lot of fight and an awful lot of grit. I agree. Um, I think overcome. I think it is it is going to be one of those things where whoever comes in there is going to have to really um, come in to 
to uh, certainly honor his legacy and honor the work that he's done and build on top of that and then be able to possibly, you know, carry it forward, carry some of the things that he's been working on now, carry them over the line, as, as we say, um, and be able to uh, shepherd in a new era um, if, uh, if it is uh, someone other than um, uh, his wife, Maya. I know that she, I saw on the news that uh, she may be uh, looking to run. I didn't see who else was going to do it. Um, but I'm sure if it is her, then she will uh, certainly be looking to uh, uh, sustain his legacy and, and, and move forward with uh, some, some great uh, opportunities that may uh, create themselves as a result of his passing that uh, may not have been there prior to uh, because of so much partisanship and, and what's happening. And maybe there be some opportunities there to be able to do something new. Uh, I'm going to take a real quick break. And uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about more about what's, what's, what's next for Baltimore, what's next for the area. And then also we'll be looking forward for uh, uh, former uh, president and CEO uh, and gubernatorial, Maryland gubernatorial candidate uh, Ben Jealous uh, to call in here and uh, share his thoughts and reflections on the passing of Congressman Elijah Cummings. We'll be right back. Honey, put this on top of the minivan. We're only going for two weeks. You want me to back the kitchen sink, too? Well, is there room? Hey, you guys, you going on vacation? Who's that? I don't know. Because we're planning on robbing your house tonight. All right, I'm calling an alarm service. Wouldn't it be great if you could be warned of life's risks? If you have diabetes, you can. There's a simple blood test called A1C that can help measure your risk of complications from diabetes. Why is it important? Because more than 600 people every day die from diabetes and its complications. If your A1C is above 7, your doctor can show you how to lower it. If you have diabetes, know your risk. Know your A1C. Ask your doctor. Or for more information, go to www.diabetesa1c.org or call 1-877-TEST-A1C. Brought to you by the American Diabetes Association, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation International, and the Ad Council. That's the mighty clouds of joy walk around heaven. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Kelly Michael Williams. If you want to give us join the conversation, you can give us a call at 516-590-0143. 
That's 516-590-0143. If you'd like to chime in on the legacy of Elijah Cummings, Congressman Elijah Cummings of Baltimore, Maryland, uh, feel free to give us a call at 516-590-0143. Greg, um, as we come back to the show and and, uh, look forward to, you know, next steps, next areas, and what's happening next, um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with um, uh, the oversight of a lot of the hearings that are going on that uh, uh, the congressman was heading up and who's going to take over. Some say that there should be uh, uh, a young progressive that takes over the, the committee as, as opposed to someone uh, more seasoned uh, to essentially establish, uh, uh, you know, some, some longevity or youthfulness of, of the committee. Um, how do you see this playing out? What do you, what do you think uh, may happen or how do you see it happening um, given the, the, the tension of what's going on up on the Hill right now with, with these investigations? Uh, yeah, I guess um, I, w- I would have a hard time seeing the people that have been there for a while giving up something as um, something as coveted and powerful as that committee chair to some uh, new progressive that's only been there a couple, you know, one term, two terms max. I have a real hard time of seeing that occur. Um, I'm thinking it's going to be some um, whoever's going to eventually end up there. It's going to be somebody that's been there a while, somebody that's kind of in uh, Nancy Pelosi's um, Speaker of the House in her inner circle, somebody, a reliable ally of hers, somebody that she knows and trusts. Um, I would be, you know, for her to give it to anybody else, it's it is what it is, but you know you kind of reward the people that got you there, and you know the new people they may show promise and they may be you know more energetic, more energized, um, unless they've shown particularly in their private lives, and even then that's questionable. But before they came into Congress, where they have the ability to provide what um, a Pelosi and the leadership would want to see from that. That particular committee, the amount of oversight, mm-hmm. um, unless the one's coming from some kind of, I mean, like in their professional lives before they assumed in Congress where they have provided oversight at that level, I just don't see someone new um, assuming that chair. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a dog fight, but it's going to be a dog fight amongst those a bunch of the dogs that have already been there. So, what do you think may happen if if it's not a person of color? Is that going to make a difference? Does does it need to be replaced by uh, a, a person of color, African American, or or something like that to um, to sort of um, uh, keep the peace, if you will? As far as like someone on the Republican side, like so, we'd be sitting up here looking, going, well, person of color or not person of color? Is it somebody? It's like um, it's like doing the oversight. If there's something specifically that you want, um, then you're going to have to go with someone that can achieve that objective. And, you know, you'd have to look there first. I'm from the Republican side. Um, but as far as a person of color, if that's, what's, if that's what's needed in order to calm your caucus, you know, from a political standpoint, you're going to have to look mm-hmm. there. But, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, but if you're going to get a person of color, you know, make sure it's somebody that's up to and capable of handling that particular oversight duties, especially right now, because the oversight's going into, I mean, you know, we could really care less, but, you know, it's like you're trying to get to like some of the investigations that they're talking about. If you sacrifice identity for, I guess, confidence, then what you got, you can't complain about. Mm-hmm. All right. 
I was I, I was thinking about that because I was saying if if I, and I don't know who the next person in line is going to be, um, but I did hear that they were looking or thinking about or at least they were suggesting that uh, Speaker Pelosi was thinking about uh, uh, coming with uh, you know someone uh, who was I guess younger if you will a more millennial type. Um, to put on, to put in that, that place. But I think, as you said, at this point in time with the investigations, the way they are and having and needing that, that seasoned oversight, and we're talking about government oversight and, and all of the uh, government agencies and all the things that's going on, you really want to have someone in there who can command and control that committee and not someone who um, just happens to be, you know, a, a fresh face or a new new name out there that's that's doing something because otherwise you might find yourself in it like you said you may find yourself uh in in a pickle uh you'll 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 have to deal with what you what you have you know you'll get what you uh you get what you deserve if if uh, you're not really prepared for it um and if you don't have the people out there for it right and i'd add one other thing um i'm not so sure when the uh, governor of maryland um uh, larry hogan is going to schedule the special election because you know, I think by law he can even deny, deny um, delay it all the way through next year's election. But I'm not, you know, we'll see how public pressure feels. I think they say he's supposed to schedule it this week. If he does, mm-hmm. and he schedules it, let's say in like um, next spring. Whoever is going in that seat, I guess, like as far as you know, like whoever's going in that seat actually would have to run again in November. So. And like we're talking about the oversight, if you put some money new in, like for the oversight committee, a new millennial, that new millennial will be in there from now through, like for the chairman for the oversight, will be in there from now through next year. It's full election year. So I'm sure that that calculus is definitely being taken. Yeah, I'm sure all of that's on the table of going, okay, we put somebody in there, we've satisfied this thing, but they fall flat on their face, and they're going to cost us 50 house seats. I mean, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. And 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 the the question of who uh the governor will appoint uh to uh, you know uh um fulfill the the rest of the term um of that seat and uh when he you know I think I guess if he's supposed to do that by the end of this week or decide what he's going to do and then determine when the um the special will be and I would think that he would try to run it coincide with what the regular permit was not to cost the state any more money. Um, and being able to do that and try to try to create that special so that it doesn't uh, uh, increase any costs for the state by uh, by putting it in a off election, um, it's it's I mean a pretty solid blue area, so it, it would not make a difference in terms of of uh, trying to create two elections to try to reduce the turnout or something of that nature. Uh, you you'll likely get. Um, the same results, regardless of whether it was a special or if it coincides with the uh, with the regular election. Would you agree? Uh, actually, I don't know. It's um, with everything that's been happening like the last few years. I think that even if next year's, I think next year's elections are going to be different. I think that the grassroots well, yeah, the going to be a whole. Yeah, it's going to be real different next year. On, absolutely. Yeah, on both parties. I think it, within both parties, I think the populist wing and the establishment wings. As we're seeing, I think they uh, both of them are at war with each other. And who's going to be the winner for both parties? That remains to be seen next year. I guess like as we right. see like this uh, 
Yeah, the big that dust that dust up going on between Hillary and Tulsi Gabbard is like, okay, well, nuclear weapons have been deployed, haven't they? Well, I I and, uh, I, I only heard the the first part of that. Um, um, I think it was uh, yesterday, or the day before. But quite frankly, when Tulsi came out saying that she was going to boycott the um, the debate, my response was, who cares? I mean, some people. I get that you need to, you know, make a some type of statement or you need to do something that's that's, you know, volatile enough to get you attention and to, you know, bring yourself out there to to let some people look at you and, and figure it out. But quite frankly, I don't think uh nor have I ever thought I was even surprised that she got the the one percent, two percent and the had the donor base to even uh get to the point where she was even on the stage, um, for that matter. Uh let alone be viable in any way to actually, you know, come out and make a dent. So when she was saying she was going to boycott, I was like, who cares if she boycotts? I mean, what, what, um, what policy initiative or what, what position is she carrying that's going to be so different than anyone else that would say that she's better capable of, of leading this country than the rest of them. So, I mean, if 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 Hillary is right and and there are uh, and she is taking money or accepting money from folks that are coming out of some type of a Russian area, then hey, it it is what it is. I mean, I, I don't I don't know you know how that should be interpreted or or what should be said about that, but uh, it is what it is. Yeah, my problem is that we all know that Hillary's taking money from Russian interests. So for her to accuse Tulsi of something that she herself is doing. It's like, hey, if that's a crime, then what you did is a crime, and you know, so which is a whole different subject. But the fact that well, none of that, none of that money was other. taken during the campaign, so that's the point we're trying to make is that she was taking that during the campaign. Um, let me let me go ahead and introduce uh, our next guest. He's an American civil um, civics leader and uh, civil rights leader, uh, a politician. He served as the president and chief executive officer of the National Association of the Advancement of Colored People. And from 2008 to 2013, and when he was selected as the head of NWCP at age 35, he became the organization's youngest ever national leader. He is also a former candidate for uh, governor for the state of Maryland, and uh, he'll be joining us in, in just a few moments. Um, uh, but uh, we'll welcome uh, Ben Jealous to the show right after this break. Mom, thanks for taking me to work. Gee, there are lots of people here who don't look like you. Asian people, African Americans, Latinos, everybody's different. Yes, and those differences are good because they mean different ways of seeing, thinking, and doing things. So how come where we live, everyone looks just like us? Diversity shouldn't be left behind at work each day. In our neighborhoods, we can prepare our children for the global life that lies ahead. To better understand the benefits of diversity in your community, log on to www.aricherlife.org. Brought to you by the National Fair Housing Alliance. Not all superheroes wear capes. Most wear jeans or sweaters or suits, just like ordinary people, because that's what they are. They are the 1.2 million members of Rotary, men and women whose superpowers are the capacity to care and the desire to make the world better. So the next time you need a superhero, don't look in the sky, look in the mirror. 
Learn more at rotary.org. Rotary, humanity in motion. You're listening to Black Politics Today, an eye for what's at stake in global politics and your source for the social, economic, and political impact on the African-American community. So join the conversation at 516-590-0143 and share your viewpoint at 516-590-0143. Now back to your host, Kelly Michael Williams. And all the more that we have to do is to stay rise, stay risen, and stay up and move forward. I'm your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Welcome back to the show. Uh, if you want to give us a call, you can give us a call at 516-590-0143 for your comments or questions. That's 516-590-0143. Uh, Gregory, we're going to uh, wait until uh, the um, uh, uh, chairman, president, uh, uh, Ben Jealous, uh, gives us a call back uh, Seems that we lost this lost this call in in the transition, but um, we're picking up from where we were leaving off at. Um, yeah, some of those things are are you know issues where uh, you guys have quite often said, oh, where Hillary was taking Russian money, Hillary was taking Russian money, um, and uh, nothing has been shown or proven that Hillary was taking any Russian money. But at the same time, as I stated earlier, if it's proven that um, Tulsi Gabbard is is doing that. Um, clearly, one that's a violation um, of any campaign finance issues and and uh, aren't aren't supposed to. But I think it's more so that she's not necessarily taking direct money, but I guess being trolled or or prop, propped up um, by um, those who are uh, Russian um, uh, supporters to put her out there and, and to, um, I think, pretty much do like they did in 2016, which is put out misinformation and, and put out different stories and, and information uh, context to make people either think she's being supported by them or to make people support her over someone else. Because clearly, in my opinion, she would be the weakest link of, of anyone uh, out there if, in fact, she was to be elected. Like they're saying, it's like she's got to go through the 
Democrats and DNC, I mean, that's that's all in-house. And her taking on what she called her the queen of corruption and all that, it just was like, oh, wow, she fired a nuclear missile there um, between Tulsi taking on Hillary and then the squad that AOC, uh, Tlaib, and um, I can't think of the other one, endorsing Bernie Sanders. That's kind of like the – so it's like, okay, so a lot of noise is starting to come out of the populist, the different populist wings of the Democrats. And the Democrat establishment, who I guess was Joe, but uh, my opinion, I think he's folding. Um, who else? Kamala thinks he's going down. And I don't know who else is up there. Or Elizabeth's kind of whatever she is. I don't know if she's populist, supposedly, or establishment. But it's it's almost like it's a leadership void vacuum that everybody's uh, jockeying for a position. Um, in my opinion, it looks like Tulsi's out there trying to carve out a niche. So it's almost like Tulsi's counting on, in my opinion, that Tulsi's counting on the party folding and you know, crashing and burning and her being there to pick up the pieces and run in 2004. She's only 38. Um, so it's like you know, just, just looking at it from the, out, from the outside of looking in, it's like she's trying to establish a certain you know, standard that she's trying to run through that probably most likely will not win the nomination this time. I don't know if she'll ever get the 10% polling. To be honest, she hasn't broken 5%. I mean, I think the most she's ever had was yeah. 2%. Um, and that was to, to meet the, the, the uh, threshold of the, uh, I think, the last debate. But um, even at that, I, I don't, me personally, I don't see that she's going to, what pieces is she going to pick up? I, I don't see there's there's pieces for her to pick up or that uh, she'll be the, the, the you know, person to do it. Um there's so much out there and there's so many different um, people out there. And of course, when it's, when it's an open seat like this, you're going to have a whole lot of folks, you know, jockeying for position, a whole lot of folks going for it. Um, And I think it's going to come down to uh, a lot of the, like you said, the second tier, I think will, will be there to Mm -hmm. pick it up. I don't know that she will break out. I I don't know that she can have a breakout or she'll have a breakout that will, will give her that. Uh, I'm uncertain of that because it, it, just listening to her or hear her on stage, um, it uh, she hasn't been impressive. I, I like I said, I'm still trying to figure out where she's getting this this two percent, three percent polling from, and uh, and uh, continue to raise this money, uh, and where this uh, this money is coming from, and what donors, because you never hear anything about her, you never see anything about her uh, anywhere except the fact that she's making the debate stage, which I guess in and of itself can say something. Because you're not hearing anything, but yet she's still making the cut. So, I mean, that you can commend her on, but uh, I, I don't know what uh, what else you what else you do with that. I think if, uh, if my, anything my you look at, I think if anything you look at, uh, you know, like you said, where is Kamala? Where is Corey? Um, and some of these other folks like um, uh, Beto O'Rourke and those folks. I think a lot of them should have ran for the Senate. I think a lot of them should have been out there uh, uh, looking at that area rather than looking at um, the presidency. Um, even Bennett coming out of, the, uh, out of Colorado in the Senate is like, dude, really? You had a great speech, and now you're going to run for president. I, you know, some, some of that just doesn't make sense to me. Some of that is like, we need to secure the Senate as, um, as the progressives or Democrats so that Mitch McConnell doesn't, you know, 
continue to create the havoc that he's creating, and God forbid uh, your boy gets reelected, the rest of those judgeships are gone, and he's just going to run havoc throughout the rest of this nation, and it's quite honestly something that uh, just is ridiculous to me. I think most of those guys should be running for Senate to try to take over the Senate just to make sure nothing else crazy goes on. I know you I disagree, disagree with, with that. that. But, hey, I know you would disagree yeah, yeah, no, with that. Yeah, no, I wouldn't disagree with that. No, you wouldn't. No, it's like from a political standpoint, yeah, you know, you, you have to play. You go, okay, can we win the presidency? Can we win the Senate? We have to look at what's best for your your country and your party. Um, a lot more people looking at what's best for themselves. Uh, you know, like for their exactly. own personal. It's like, oh, well, yeah, yeah. Why am I running for president? Well, because I can get more in donor money and I can pay myself off here and re and retire my old campaign debt from when I was in a, when I was a senator. You know, and you know, we know some do. They look at it that way out for their own best interest instead of the okay, uh, best interest you, of the country. You don't need yeah, to run the country for president like that. to retire to retire your campaign debt. I mean, you know that that's just crazy, especially if it's if in fact you know you have no ability to win. Um, you're getting out there because clearly, if you're running for president to reduce your campaign debt, how are you then actually being viable for the people that you're getting donations from to say that you're actually running for president when your whole bottom line purpose is, well, let me do this so I can end without any debt. I know I'm not going to win, so you're being disingenuous. You know, you're, you're not being true to the true to your morals, your ethics, or the the people and constituents that you call yourself serving. That's correct, and definitely not being true to your donors. I mean, you're doing that. I'm putting my name out. I'm getting a book deal. I'm going to be on, you know, CNN, MSNBC. I'm, you know, I'm going to get up in there. You know, this is my home run. I can cash out right now. Um, the constituents, eh. You know, or write the book. I don't know. What I mean, is. but don't waste the money. <laughs> write the book and get the money that way and mm-hmm. reduce, you know, pay off your campaign debt. Because if if you're a better or work, you could easily write a book and people would buy it. And you can, if you had campaign debt, you can eliminate that with that one book. I mean, That'd that be. that would be easy. Now, if you're a, a Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Gabbard, you may not be able to write a book that that's going to do that. But what campaign debt would you have? running for Congress that your next cycle would not eliminate or, or take over. I would, I would think that you'll be an, um, as an incumbent, you probably won't have any primary opponent and coming out of Hawaii. I don't know what Republican you're going to have running against you. They're, they're, they're unlikely someone's going to come after you and, and beat you in that sense. I mean, you're army veteran and, and so much you, you run with it. You go, you know, um, Bennett, I don't understand, you know, what campaign debt he would have. He's, been there a number of years un, uh, unopposed that those those things you know i get it but they just don't seem like they would be the reason why you would do all that you know it, it would just make it would yeah. just be, be crazy yeah it's like yeah. Uh, they didn't quite play uh you know, they weren't quite the team players that they needed to be and right uh, and, and it's like and, and the worst part is it's like what is 12 of them remaining it's like uh I'm anticipating six by the end of this year will be remaining. No, half dozen. I think the six more will drop out. Like who? Somebody just put out there that if they don't raise eighty eight hundred thousand before the end of this week or month, that they'd have to drop off. I think it was the Castro guy, but it was, uh-huh. it was one of them. But uh, Julian Castro. But you know, but you know, it's a few of them. It's twelve of them. Slowly but surely, you're going to start seeing them drop out. You can see it. And, you know, the stronger ones will be able to maintain just a little bit longer. 
the weaker ones or, you know, the herd's going to start thinning pretty soon. Because um, what? How far? We're not that far away. When, when are the Iowa caucuses? What? February? Uh, February, March. I think it's either February or March. I think it's uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of those two. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's what everybody's gunning for. So anybody, right. even if all 12 stay, stay there, that you know, that Iowa caucus, that first time when you have but, actual but yeah, voters, when, when, yeah, once actual you get vote, to that, you'll see it. Right. Yeah. And once you do that, I mean, all those folks, they're, they're you know, they're going to have to go. They're they're no longer going to be around. So what what are they going to do? That that means that you've gone through this whole process. You've spent all this money. Um, I don't even know if Gabbard has uh, um, boots on the ground in Iowa or um, Bennett or um, the Montana governor. I can't think of his name. And I'm thinking of him. Okay, you're Montana governor. You've been governor and you got a seat that's open. Why aren't you running for that seat? Oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to the Senate because it's too crazy and nothing gets done. But you want to be president to have to deal with Mitch McConnell as a senator. What the hell do you think you're going to get done that way? I mean, that was just crazy to me um, to think that and and to have that you know type of response is like, okay, well, yeah, as president, I'm going to be able to make him because I work with uh, Democrats and Republicans in my state. Yeah, that was your state. And I commend you for that, and that's very good. That's probably not going to work in Congress, especially if you have a Mitch McConnell there. That's probably not going to happen. So why would you even think that something like that would work? It just doesn't seem logical. Not at all. Not at all. Some of the people's motivations, it's like, yeah. It's like it's like yeah, I'm sitting wondering why it's like okay, the ones that actually have a credible choice chance, I get you guys. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, get on the you know, you know, I, I can see you guys. Say what you want, like uh, Bernie, Joe, Warren, and, and even Cameron when we came out there. No, you guys actually have legitimate chances, really. You know, the four of you guys. Well, I think there's still legitimate chances. You, you, uh, no, no, no. Still... It's like as a president, it. It's like, you know, it's like out of the 12, it's like, okay, those four, you can sit and see, okay, they have the infrastructure in place, the fundraising mechanisms in place, they have the right. support from the other elected officials. Those four definitely had it in place. After that, right. then you started getting to like the set, yeah, that, that was the top tier. By the time you got to the second tier, even Corey, to me, was a second tier guy. And I was like, I didn't quite see his, I didn't see it. You know, I didn't uh-huh. see him being as strong. I thought there was a gap between him and, you know, it was like uh, Kamala. Like, no, Kamala's from California, bigger state, Jersey. I get it, but I, I just didn't quite see Corey being really, really strong. He's probably the strongest of the second tier, but he was still second tier. Um, mm-hmm. Beto, you know, like the uh, Beto, like, yeah, d- dude, you just lost. You know, you're losing. Right. That's that, 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 market that, got that, you. <laughs> that just doesn't <laughs> make sense to me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You you raised all that money. You got it together. That worked for you. But that was one that was singular. I know you got money from everywhere, but you got money from everywhere because you run against Ted Cruz. You got money from everywhere because you had ignited a fire. You got money from everywhere to help you win the Senate because the people who were supporting you understood that we needed the Senate. Now you're going to try to take that and go to presidency after you just lost the Senate. I mean, that's, you know, that, that, that move right there was a, a, a coach's move. I just got fired, so now I'm going to go and, and, and get hired by another team 
and uh, I'm going to do better over there after I just got fired over here. I mean, right. rarely does that work. Only in certain instances or cases does that work. Even with Jimmy Jones uh, or Jimmy Johnson, right? Winning with Dallas as many Super Bowls as he did, leaving trying to go to Miami and rebuild didn't work. So you got to win. Don't forget he had, he had, right. he had Dan Marino right. down there too. Don't forget that. Right. You, you're leaving from a winner to go to someone to build up and you don't. I mean, it's like, how, how do you do that? coming off of a, a loss, even though it was a tight loss, it was still a loss. So rather than do that, use that momentum and build and run for Senate against Cornyn and put him in the hot seat and hot, you know, of, of having to face and deal with some of the things that he has to uh, vote on and, and some of the things that he has to uh, uh, defend and run. Cause now you already have the infrastructure in your state. You don't have an infrastructure nationally. You have donors nationally, but you don't have an infrastructure nationally. So run for your state, and and not doing that was crazy. Um, let's let's circle back and 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 close out here with um, finding out uh, what do you see as as a, a congressman um, Elijah Cummings' legacy? What's going to be his legacy uh, nationally on in Congress? What's going to be his legacy, you know, there in Baltimore and uh, just legislatively? Oh my yes. I've... Let's look at it. I guess it was like something that he passed. I think his biggest, uh, in my opinion, one of the biggest le- legislative achievements he had was like uh, during the Obama era. I guess it was like some kind of oversight of the federal agencies. I think when he wanted to start it, after right, well, they started, that, they right. started the Consumer Regulatory uh, Agency. Um, that was that was started on Obama. That's that was actually the first time I interviewed him. Uh, was about that that. Uh, piece of legislation and that uh, establishment of that agency to essentially keep, you know, predatory lending and uh, banking practices um, under wraps so that uh, folks in the inner city and, and in rural communities weren't gouged and, and taken advantage of by these uh, banks and the interest rates and the payday loans and the credit card companies. And uh, the the fees that the credit card companies charge you and, and things like that, you get a card and you're trying to pay it off, but the interest seems to double and triple uh, more than the principal balance of what you owed, and so you're constantly and forever in debt to that to that um, um, uh, company, that credit card, and uh, you're basically tying this albatross around your neck and you can't move. Um, so that was one of the that was uh, one of the the bigger pieces of legislation, exactly. Um, which yeah. unfortunately you 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 and your party just dis- dismantled and abolished, and it's like you know stop funding it. So now we got predatory lending again, and it's going rampant even more so. Hmm. And I think we need to go address that. Uh, even hate to say it, but even um, like Ray LC was like, you know, when they um. Did the bank bailout? They should have capped what they could charge. They should have done it then, because they had the banks over the barrel. They did. I agree. But the banks also had the country over the barrel. It was it was a catch twenty two, and I didn't mean to I didn't mean to interrupt you. But you're right. I agree with that. Um, But it was a catch twenty two because the banks were saying if we don't get the money, the whole financial structure is going to fall, and we're saying yeah, when we give you this money, you can't do X, Y, and Z with it. And then AIG came out. If you remember, AIG came out at the end of that year or the next year, giving out their CEO bonuses, and Obama had to go in and find them, and the uh, 
uh, attorney general had to go in and find them because they gave the CEO, you know, what, 10, 12, 50 million dollars or something like that. Then um, revamped his his um, his uh, retirement package and, and all this other stuff. And they're like, oh, no, use taxpayers dollars for that. So they, you know, they went in and they, you know, find them, got their money back or got the, the government's uh, the taxpayers money back. But it was those type of things where I would have, like you, I would have gotten rid of every CEO of every one of those banks and hedge funds um, and uh, cap said, okay. Cap the, cap yeah, the interest boom. rates. And cap the interest rates, yeah. Cap the interest rates, cap the salaries and things of that nature that um, doesn't allow them just to, to you know, run amok, um, which now, I mean, unfortunately, under, under this Senate, we're coming back to. Those are things we're coming back to. So, what do you think is going to be uh, his his legacy? What uh, with that piece of legislation or others? What do you think will be his legacy? Uh, let me see. His legacy is going to be his for anybody that's going to be his children. That's always some legacy, you know, how far his uh, children go and his family goes. Because ultimately, you know, I mean, if you're the tree, and myself included, you know, once I pass, once we all pass, I mean, you know, you you know, there's your work, there's what you did at your work, but to me, your legacy is always how your children build upon your life and take it there and take it to that next level. Or mm-hmm. in today's world, don't lose what you built up. That one too. Well, I think one of the things, uh, one of the things that I was, I was going to certainly um, have uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Mr. Ben Jealous, Benjellis uh, uh, ben address was the idea of uh, him passing the, the legislation to have Harriet Tubman on the $20 mm-hmm. bill. And if it would not be a, a, a statement for Pelosi to get with Mitch McConnell to basically push that bill back through the, the House and Senate, um, even though it's already passed, do something that would allow them to basically push it back through and put some pressure on, on your boy Trump to sign it because, you know, he decided, oh, well, we don't want to do this now because it was supposed to go into circulation next year. Um, and they were supposed to do it and have it go into circulation next year, being 2020, and it'd be on a $20 bill. And now he's holding that up until 2024 for no reason whatsoever other than the fact that Terry Tupman on the bill, um, um, uh, a black woman on the face of the bill. So I was thinking that if they were able to do that and push that through, that would be a a tremendous um, uh, statement of uh, you know seeing that come to fruition uh, when it's supposed to 2020. Unfortunately, he won't be here to receive it or see it. But um, Maya, his widow, would be able to do that, and his children would be able to do that. And then, of course, if if uh, she's um, fortunate enough to take over his seat. Uh, I'm sure it's something that she'll continue to try to uh, fight for and get done if it doesn't get done before then. But that would certainly be a, a commemorative uh, legacy moment uh, for someone who has spent so much time and so much effort um, fighting uh, for equality and for, for justice for people of color, for folks across this city, across this state, but across this country just in a and his role and, and capacity and oversight and in Congress and, and everywhere he's been um, from his time as an attorney until his time at the state legislature, I thought that would be like a, a culminating effect or event for him to be able to, to have that happen, have that, 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 uh, 
that $20 bill go into circulation. I mean, can you imagine we're going to have a black person on the bill, the, the $20 bill? We have, well, we have Frederick Douglass, but um, have that on uh, a woman on the, on the bill? Um, it's, um, it's in progress. I'm going to be here yeah. sooner before we know it. Hope, just hope we're not cashless before then, but it'll be here. Well, I want to thank you, Gregory. You didn't say anything crazy tonight. You didn't go off the deep end. I appreciate that. Uh, uh, I guess because of the topic and what we were discussing, because it was talking about uh, uh, Congressman Cummings and and his legacy. You you kept it clean. You kept it good. You didn't you didn't give me nothing crazy that I had to talk over you about or or call you out on. So I appreciate that, man. I really do. Yeah, yeah. Qu- a quick question. Um, like I guess for your listeners, any words on I guess his uh, funeral arrangements? If you had any knowledge, the, funeral, right the funeral, he's going to lay in state on Thursday, I believe it's Thursday or Wednesday uh, in the Capitol. And then the services are going to be up at New Psalmist uh, Baptist Church in Baltimore on uh, Thursday. I believe it's Thursday. The, is that the 24th uh, or is it Friday the 25th? Um, I just saw something um, on that. So certainly they can. Um, go online and they can Google. Um, I did get that information. I just can't remember how I got that information, but uh, he is going to land state at the Capitol. And then they are going to have, and I I believe, I don't know if it's private or public at the church. Um, But but once you have uh, that information, you'll you'll put it on your Facebook page. I'll put it on my Facebook page and I'll tweet it out. Yeah. In fact, I'll look right after the show, after we and finish the show up, I'll, I'll look at that and, and, and take a look and put something out on Instagram and all the platforms, social media platforms, Black Politics Today mm-hmm. um, platforms, and we'll be able to see. And if I can do something, I'll, um, I'll uh, well, I can, I'll put something up on the website, but certainly on Facebook and on Twitter, we'll put something out there so you can always go there and check it out and see what's going on. Excellent. So as we do always, Greg, what's at stake for us, man? What's at stake for, uh, for African-Americans across this country? What's at stake for us uh, in general and specifically? What's at stake for black folks? Our uh, future. Our future. I think this that we're entering in the next golden age, and we need to go out there to get the gold. And that's it. Yeah. That's simple. So it's the golden it's age, up. and we need to go out and get the gold. Yes, equality is like equality. Uh, that one, uh, actually, just thought about that. It's like, hey, look, I think we've focused on um, racial. We focused on a lot of equalities. It's time to focus on economic equality. Let's focus on the gold. Laser focus well, on that. You. I agree with you on that one. That one right mm-hmm. there, I will agree with you on. Well, my brother, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. And, of course, as always, if it's social, economic, or political, it's Black Politics Day. And next week... Uh, we're going to get back to the nitty gritty. You know, we, we wanted to give homage and, and, and certainly pay respect to Elijah Cummings because I know um, just for me personally, uh, being associated with uh, uh, his wife and her work and having her on my show and him on the show and just uh, knowing that that legacy of, of what he's put in place is such uh, a legacy that needs to be um, uh, recognized and honored, in my opinion. I wanted to do something and make sure I did something with that on our show tonight. Uh, but next week we'll be back at the nitty gritty and uh, uh, prayerfully and hopefully if we do have Gregory back, he's not going to say nothing crazy. He'll have all his facts together and he won't give me no more talking points. Ain't that right, Gregory? No. See you next week. How's that? 
Until then, good night. Social economic applause, black politics today. All right, good night. Thank you for listening to Black Politics Today on I for What's at Stake in Global Politics with your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Join us live each Monday from 7 to 8 p.m. Until next time, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and download us on iTunes at Black Politics Today.